Okay, back to Genesis, and we are going to look now at what happened to God's original intent. And uh, we will wait for the excited children to get to their desired destination. What a blessing to see so many kids. I was watching that merry-go-round this morning. Charlene and I were sitting in the car and I thought, oh boy, there's going to be some broken bones before the day's over. (laughs) But I saw one little guy in the middle hanging on to that post like this. And I told Charlene, that looks just like me riding the big horses at the carnival on the merry-go-round. So (laughs) I don't do the Ferris wheel anymore. Or I mean the, uh, what do you call it? I don't do any of that anymore. I I go, I said, the roughest thing I do now is the merry-go-round. And I thrust my arms in the air, show that I'm not afraid on there. <laughs> so, what a blessing to watch these young, you know, memories, memories, memories. I thought, what a thrill. I mean, really, really, what a thrill. It's no wonder these kids hate to see it end and cannot wait to see it come. Because these are memories for those kids and how how uh, blessed you are as a people and as a church to see this uh, this going on. The time goes very quickly. And I remember up at Gitchigumi Bible Camp years ago, my sister, and in fact, I got a call from my niece this morning. My sister passed away in uh, Thanksgiving last year. And we're doing her, when I leave here, I go to Denver and then come back to do a senior saint retreat up in Upper Michigan and uh, back in our home area. And uh, Mary Beth, the daughter, is flying with my sister's ashes to come and we're going to do a memorial service at Gitchigumi. But I'll sit there and my mind will go back to 1955, 1956, 1957. When it was those kind of exciting times and Dorothy was there at camp and now uh, Dorothy is going to be brought back in, in a urn. And, and you blink and that time is gone. And don't take any of this time for granted. I mean, you just say, thank you, Lord, for uh, this time that we can have together. And I was just going in the dining hall this morning when my niece called from Denver making her arrangements for that to happen. But that's life, isn't it? That's reality. What happened to God's original plan? Let's pray and then we'll begin. Father, we commit this next 45 minutes to you. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this session. We know Satan is an enemy. We know he has no good intent for any family in this meeting. I pray that we might see and and discern the deceptiveness and the blinding. As we look at our world, we are reminded that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those which believe not. There's no other way to explain the thinking that is being accepted as normal. But we know it's all, Father, going against your plan, what you originally thought. And we, as we look at, at what happened, 
from what you originally intended for Adam and Eve and, and the following families to come. We see what happened when we look in your word in chapter 3 of Genesis. Give us understanding and discernment in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3. Sometime between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, Satan was cast out of heaven. He went in rebellion. His pride, I will be, I will be like the most, I will and I will and I will. And the pride, the refusal to worship because Satan wants to be worshipped. And I think there is a great confusion in the whole topic of worship today because Satan, the master musician, who was that angel in heaven, according to Ezekiel 28, the, the one who was over all of the music, or 14, over all of the... He, he was literally formed with instruments, pipes and tabrics within. And I think when he spoke or sang, I think an instrument came out. I think he was really directing the worship. But he wanted that to him. Who would know better? A man who was working on a, his doctoral dissertation, I forget what university he was with, but he was traveling the United States talking to Bible college presidents on the topic of worship. And uh, he had to interview so many as a part of his doctoral dissertation report, the paper, report the interviews. And uh, I don't remember who the guy was. I don't remember what institution he was from even. But he his first question was, why is there so much confusion regarding worship today? I said, well, who was really the one in charge of worship in heaven? I said, when you look at uh, Ezekiel 14, and you look at, at what his, his creation was, and his beauty beyond description. And I said, when he was cast out, I think he landed in a choir loft. And I said, who would know better how to take the concept of worship and twist it just enough to take the worship away from him who is to be worshipped to make it a pleasant thing for the worshippers? Who would know better to make that little bit of a diversion and to bring a little bit of division? The master deceiver, that's who is behind all of that. I said, it's no wonder to me. I said, worship in the Bible, there was ritual worship that God hated. If you don't believe that, read Amos chapter 5. God said, I hate your worship. I hate your rituals. I say, I hate your songs. I hate the noise of your vials. Because externally you're worshiping me, but internally I've been replaced by Moloch and Geum, the images and the stars of your gods. I hate your worship. Ritual worship doesn't get then <clears throat> today we're seeing a lot of recreational worship. And the worship is directed to the performers and the people, not to the one who is to be worshipped. Then there's real worship. That's what we started talking about last night. About knowing who God is and lifting him up and exalting him and praising him for uh, who he is and and uh 
But he was cast out. I think somewhere between cha- the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 because now we see chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle. Underscore that word. Not obvious. Subtle. Than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden? The first thing he went after was authority. Because he refused to submit to authority in heaven because of his pride. And he puts a question mark where God put a period. When I was talking last night about the symptoms of depression and the questioning that comes, Satan wants to put a question mark over the character of God. In other words, if he can get a situation that comes in your life and he can work on your mind to get you questioning whether God is really good or whether that was all a lie that you were told in your life. Is God really good? Hath God said? Would a loving God do that? And consequently, we redefine our picture of who God is to make it more acceptable to what I would wish that he were. And so when you look at the concept number one, what was destroyed in the garden? The concept of authority. Hath God said, and the woman said unto the serpent, ye may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now look what Satan says, verse 4. The serpent said, ye shall not surely die. God's a liar. See what's happening here? <clears throat> if he can get even a professing believer to put a question mark where God has placed a period, he can get you on the run. Get you into some deep, deep thinking and get you into some deep despair and get you into some deep depression because you start questioning until you switch. What happened in Psalm 77 that we began last night? First five verses, 18, I, me, my. Then the questions came. And then what happened? From chapter 11, or verse 11, on to the end, there's no more I, no more me, no more personal pronouns. It's all him. And when we in life, we, we stop this coming about me, and then we pivot upwards, and it's all about him. Then we stop to think, God, you know so much better for me. You know so much better what you want for me for eternity. And he started to meditate on the wonders and the works and the worship of God. And then he ended with the shepherding of God. In the end of chapter 77. And when we stop to think the Lord is our shepherd. And you understand what shepherd do. Any of you, have any of you ever worked with sheep? Any of you have, have had sheep? You would know better what that is. I've never, I've never worked with sheep, but I've heard people have read books, people who have had experience with sheep and all the perils that come with us being sheep. It, it sure makes a lot of sense, but he is our shepherd. And what he said, the good shepherd does what? Laid down his life for the sheep. 
in the triad of Psalms, Psalm 22, 23, and 24, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd. Psalm 22, 23, and 24, that triad of Psalms, all centered into the shepherding of Christ and tied in with our redemption and deliverance and ultimate time of fellowship with him in heaven. Authority is questioned. What's the first thing that happens today? God said male and female created he them. Satan says God the liar. You can't say male, female. Now in the hospital, child is born. What's what do you call it? Read up. Read the reports. What's happening? What they cannot do. They cannot say this is a boy or this is a girl. That person hasn't gotten old enough to decide what he is yet. So don't assign a sex to him. Well, I mean, some things are pretty obvious. Don't you think? I mean, you don't have to be have the wisdom of Solomon to figure some things out. All you have to do is have eyes. But what Satan do? And to them, it's perfectly clear thinking. Let that person decide what he is. I mean, I was raised in the very tip of Upper Michigan. My daughter is is uh, they. They've had businesses they've sold. Now she's working uh, for a large construction company up in that area. And grandkids were uh, in school in Upper Michigan. And uh, and she went in and told the principal, said, you better be glad that I don't live in the city of Norway because you would be out of here. We don't need atheists here. We don't need you telling us we cannot have a Christmas program. Another board member was in hearing distance and said, why did you, why did you talk to him that way? She said, because he's an atheist, he doesn't belong here. Because now they have how many students? You remember, honey, how many students they said? They don't know what they are. I mean, these are teenagers, don't know what they are. I mean, obviously, they quit teaching biology in some of those schools. How stupid. You know what that is? Ye shall not surely die. If that's God's plan, that's not right. So the absolute is literally thrown out. Here you are trying to raise a family in this generation. And when you stop to look at the systems of education, the Marxism that has infiltrated all of our universities, that has filtered down into the colleges, filtered into the high schools, filtered into the grade schools, and we're sending children into that atmosphere. And thank God for some who have Christian parents who will instruct their children when that foolishness starts, you just stand up and say that is not right. So let it get dismissed. Good. 
Get into some good education so your mind doesn't get filled with that. Why? Because if you submit yourself to satanic thinking, eventually and Romans 1 becomes unfolding right before us. Romans chapter 1 is unfolding right before our eyes. Why? Because when you look at Genesis 3, that's what happened. Authority absolutely questioned. And then what happens? Verse 5, For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods. If you mark in your Bible, or if you mark on your phones, I don't think it's worth it circling it on your phone, because you'll have another passage. I, I'm old. I'm old. Ye shall be as, circle as, and that's the birthday of humanism. You know what that as states? You shall be equal to God. You will have no authority over you. You know what the whole abortion industry is about? The butchering of babies? God has no authority to tell us what to do with our bodies. Basically, it is throwing out the absolute And God is a liar. And so he promises humanism was born on that day. Ye shall be as gods. No authority over you. We were driving below Green Bay on the way to Milwaukee one day and I saw a car coming in my rear mirror down 141 and the car was coming like a, like the wind. And I, I told Charlene, I'll guarantee there's a teenage girl driving that car. And she comes around, flying. Sure enough, teenage girl. They learn to drive on these on these uh, iPads, and you hit a tree, you press reset, and and you go again. Well, it's not like that in reality. But when she went around me, she pulled again in the lane in front of me, and and her bumper sticker said, "Keep your laws off my body." You know who that was addressed to? God Almighty. You know why? Because she was taught by someone, God is a liar. And the Bible is foolishness. You are your own God. Authority out the window. You shall be as God's knowing good and evil. They discovered good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and the tree desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? You learn something when you're counseling someone. A question stirs a conscience where an accusation hardens a will. Study the conversations of Jesus throughout the New Testament. You'll have a master's degree in communication. Study the conversations of Christ. And you'll notice how he handled argumentative people. He never answered their questions. What would he do? He would ask one. 
They would come with a question and Jesus wouldn't answer it. He'd ask them a question. Somebody asked a Jew one time, why do Jews always answer questions by asking one? He said, what's wrong with that? So, you know, <laughs> when David sinned, Nathan came. Nathan told a story of parallel. So what should I do, David? Question. David passed his own sentence. Saul sinned. Samuel, the prophet, comes. He didn't, he didn't uh, tell Saul, hey, pervy, come here. He said, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. And Samuel says, do I hear sheep? Question, question. Get to the conscience. Now that goes all the way back to the garden. Where are you, Adam? Did God not know where Adam was? He comes in a garden. He said, I lost my first man. He was just here. Where did he go? No, he didn't lose Adam. You know what the question was designed for? To get Adam to admit where he was. And boy, you'll learn, even as we as parents, if we learn to ask questions, and as authorities, we learn to ask questions, that stirs a conscience. You don't get a wall of argument instantly when you make an accusation. When a question, that is the conscience stirred. They have to answer that within their own selves. Where are you, Adam? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked, Adam? Another question. Who told you you were naked, Adam? Their conscience did. Hast thou eaten of the tree where I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, now birthday of humanism, shared the same birthday with blame shifting. Same birthday. Whenever you think of the birthday of humanism, think the same day blame shifting was born. God goes to Adam, he said, the woman. Then God goes to the woman and she says, the serpent. So Adam blamed God and Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. And I think what happened, and don't dig too deeply into this, I cannot prove this exegetically, but I think when they, when they had their discussion about who was in charge, because how did, how did Adam and Eve try to cover themselves? It said they, they made leaves. And Adam told Eve, I will wear the plants in this family. <laughs> and, uh, and when I put those plants on that bedpost, don't move them till I say they're ready to be washed. <laughs> now don't dig too deeply into that. You, you can sense that I'm not real exegetical on that. I think I've isogeted some on that one. But at least it's a good thought. <laughs> I'll wear the plants around here. And so, what changed? Attitude changed. Authority changed. And when authority changes, attitude changes. Now there's no longer a blessed thinking of goodness of God and the joy of the garden, now it's accusing. Now it's your fault. Now there's tension instead of peace and joy. And then the atmosphere changed. If I walk into a place 
And I sense an atmosphere. I know that atmosphere is coming from attitudes. And attitudes come from a relationship with authority. I walk into a corporate office. I walk into a church. I walk in anywhere you want. Christian school. And I sense attitudes. That's what's created the atmosphere. And what is causing the attitudes? Relationship to authority. Go into a home. Atmosphere of pleasant, rejoicing. Why? Because attitudes are good. Why? Because there's submission to authority. Go into a home where there is tension in the atmosphere. And attitudes are bad. Why? Because authority relations. That's what happens. And so here's what happened here in the garden. God's original intent was changed because the serpent put a question mark where God put a period. And then it started where they believed the lie of the serpent. And then the steps that were taken down to destruction and instantly, that's where chapter 3 and verse 15 says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Another Satan, you will be cursed above all the cattle. Every bee, you will be cursed above them all. Then I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first mention of Calvary in the scriptures, instantly after man sinned. What was it forecasting? The shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ because he covered them with animal skins where blood had to be shed. And now he is saying, forecasting Calvary. Way back in Genesis 3.15. Aren't you glad for that? For the redemption, for the propitiation work that is done. We'll never, ever again face our sin. When you stand before the Lord in at the judgment at the Bema, you'll, that, that will not be a judgment for sin. Your sin is gone. Gone forever. You're not. It's not going to come up. Well, here you know you're not going to be hiding under a chair while your history is up on the screen, and then then the next person hides under the chair. And say, oh no, no. It sin will not be. It will be a time of reward or loss of reward. It will not be a time of punishment. We just finished watching the Olympics. What few I watched. But someone got on the gold stand and silver, and the ones who did, who came in fourth didn't get beaten up. They just didn't. Hey, come here, loser! Bang, whack him in the head. What were you thinking? Can't you run? No, that, that's you. Just you didn't walk away with a bronze or a silver or a gold. You're not going, and, and and you're not going to get bonked. You're just going to realize, boy, what could have been had I just loved him more. Your sin is gone. And some people say, well, I don't know. I confessed that sin so many times. No more. That's 399 times. God doesn't have it that way. Every time you confess it, the first. Because it's gone when you confess. Gone. And so thank the Lord for Genesis 3.15. We're sick about Genesis chapter 3, the first portion. But thank God for... Verse 15, where we are redeemed. 
And then unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, verse 16, and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now the word desire there is not like that now you're going to have to, your real desire is going to be, no, the, the whole, when he studied the whole Hebrew on this, you are going to have to fight wanting to rule your husband. And that's really what this is, not a woman is, you're going to be gracious. No, no, she will have to fight the concept to rule over her husband, but God said, no, the husband is going to rule over you. And when you, when you stop to think, uh, submission. I mean, there's so much conf- con- uh, confusion today regarding submission. I remember I was on a TV broadcast on in Arkansas many years ago. We were in town for a meeting, and the TV station said they have an afternoon talk show. It's a call-in program, and it was on the topic of the family that day and wanted to know if we could come in. So... uh they had the first lady called in and and said, what is your opinion of the women's lib movement? And that's when it was really getting in high gear. And I said, I'm again it. I thought in Arkansas I could say that. I'm again it. And I said, it started with Adam's rib, listen to Satan's fib, now we have women's lib. And I said, when the rib listens to the fib and you end up with lib, it's not a good thing. You can see the depth of my thinking <laughs> on, that, on that, how deeply I think. But bottom line, that's true, isn't it? When God, what God originally created. Now, what, we're done at 12, 12 o'clock. Was, let me ask a question. Is submission a cultural thing or was it a creational thing? Creational. Some of cultural. Paul had a bad attitude about women so he gave all of this. Wives submit and I mean literally I mean some Christians talk like that. Why did God put the woman in a position of submission? I think the same reason God gave them command, don't eat of the tree, for their protection. I think when a woman sees the concept of God's protection for her and the privilege that she has as being a wife, and Eve was created following man, from man, for man. That's all New Testament. That's not Old Testament. That's all New Testament. Uh, someone read First uh, Timothy 2.13. Someone with a good booming voice or even one of you men if you can find it faster. First Timothy 2.13. Who has it? Okay, so Eve was formed following Adam. Now, someone read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. Who has 1 Corinthians 11, 8? Yes. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. 
Okay, so she was from man. She was formed following man, but she was formed from man. Now read verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, what is New Testament teaching on us? She was created for the man. Following man, from man, for man. All New Testament. Submission is not cultural. It was creational. God intended for the woman to be in that protected place because her desire would be to rule over the husband. And therefore, submission... If you talk about that thought, it is like, don't you realize it's that it's 2021? 20, but absolute truth doesn't change. And it sure makes a better scenario, makes a better situation. And I did say on that TV program, I said, unfortunately, men are dropping the ball and women are picking that ball up and running with it. But you know what? We just did it. We have a TV program in Milwaukee on VCY television. And I just, my last series I did, I did on the, uh, I did one on global warming. And one was, and it was from Second Peter. She's going to heat up pretty good. When you study that global warming, I said, it is coming for sure. But it's not where the houses on the coast are going to get water in their basements. This is going to be a doozy. And it is uh, that whole concept in in that aspect of it. But I did one on what happens to a nation when God's judgment is on it. And I took Isaiah chapter 1 and 2 and I took Ezekiel chapter 22. And I said, number one, male leadership will will be gone. Number two, children shall rule over them. Number three, women will become in authority. And number four, all of the people will become perverted, crooked. You see that in Isaiah chapter 1 and 2, and you see it in Ezekiel chapter 22. And when the priest became compromised, no difference between the holy and the unholy. The prophets stopped prophesying. In fact, they got promoters of the crooked politicians. Then the politicians turned crooked. And then the people became crooked. And God says, in that sense, I look for a man. The instrument of God's search was a man. The intent was to stand in the gap. What is a gap man? One who wants God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. That's a gap man. And he said, then the indictment was, I found none. And I titled that series, Where Are the Men? Where are the men? Because when a nation is coming under God's judgment, you say women become the rulers. And when you look at terrible decisions that have been made across our nation by these judges, 
the majority of these judges were put into position. These women were put into position. But they have to be almost perverse before they're going to be paid to get into that position. Because some of the billionaires are paying to get them in, but it's God's, okay. I'm going to bring judgment. And you begin to see, and thank God for godly women. I mean, there have been some godly women rulers. Some godly women decision makers. But generally speaking, women become the rulers and men back out of the scene. And, um, and you see that, you study that, and which is a whole good side study uh, for you to do on that. And therefore, we see the picture of confusion that comes because we have walked away from God's plan, walked away from God's whole intent for this. So we see authority was questioned, attitudes changed, atmosphere changed. We see woman was put into a position. Now the question is, can we have in marriage what God originally intended? Can we have what Adam and Eve had before the fall in our marriages today? Yes or no? Yes. By what means? And we'll get into this in our next session in detail. By what means? I'm born in sin. Our mates are born in sin. How can we have what Adam and Eve had before the fall? What's Ephesians 5 say? Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What instantly follows? Mutual rejoicing. Mutual praise. And then, wives submit, husbands love, children obey. Instantly in the context of the command to be filled with the Spirit is family life. With a rejoicing. So what's the key? The key is being born again. And after you are born again, the husband is filled. The wife is filled with the Spirit. And you have the mind of Christ. So you have a holy, happy, healthy relationship. And so, yes, today we can have what Adam and Eve had before the fall in our marriages and in our families. But there has to be regeneration and there has to be spirit filling. But what's the problem? We spring leaks. <laughs> Filled but leak. And it's when we spring the leaks and we don't have God in control of that. And therefore we cannot enjoy what God has for us. We saw God's original intent. We saw his structure was perfect. We saw Satan come in and throw a monkey wrench into gears. God's authority question. God called a liar. Adam and Eve walk in disobedience. And can you imagine they're in a perfect atmosphere, perfect environment with perfect love, perfect instruction, perfect warning. And they chose wrongly. Sometimes you say, you know, my, my child just made a bad choice. And then a the parent goes on a guilt trip. You realize 
If you were to follow that logic thoroughly after you have thoroughly taught, thoroughly warned, thoroughly instructed, thoroughly loved, if you were to follow that logic through, then you would have to say, well, it was God's fault that Adam and Eve sinned because uh, obviously maybe he got so busy checking on everything in the universe, didn't get back to the garden in time. No, truth of the matter is evil was presented and evil was chosen. People make choices. I think we saw that very clearly last night when Dr. Tillerson, Millie Tilly? P. Tilly. P. Tilly, yeah. Oh, not Millie Tilly, no, P. Tilly, okay. (laughs) They called me Doc O. Well, Doc O was a mockery term. Uh, When I went to Northland back, back in 84, Dr. J was big. Remember, some of you remember Dr. J in the NBA. He was actually playing in another league at at that time. He went. Dr. J, everything with Dr. J. Well, when I went to Northland, I thought, I'm going to go over to the gym for a while. I was shooting baskets. And some of the students said, oh, Dr. O. So it was mockery because they saw, because I have a black belt in basketball. And uh, <laughs> so they could tell that I was not... Uh, so the mockery came, oh, doctor, oh, and it stuck. But not too many people realize I'm being mocked when they call me that. I don't, I don't deserve any better, so. But thank the Lord for His grace, and we'll, we'll stop now, and I'm gonna give in my next session, I'm gonna give the, how do you build? What tools do you take from the scripture to build? And I'll take one text to build relationships. Because God has the perfect plan and we can have those good relationships that God originally intended. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warnings. Thank you for your perfect love. Help us to walk in love and obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.